Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device. It has all the information you're looking for, event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more. Okay, today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. His name is Ben Fisher. He's a 2006 graduate of UC Santa Barbara. And the way that I discovered Ben is he put a letter out just this week uh, and addressed it to Cleet Keller and it has kind of made the rounds and very interested in kind of his perspective on why he wrote the letter. And um, we, we have Ben today. So thanks for being with us, man. I really appreciate being able to be here and um, hopefully be able to reach uh, some people who've been, uh, you know, been in the swimming world and have some compassion for what's going on with uh, Cleet's life at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, we're talking off air and you don't know Cleet personally, and I've had a few interactions with him. I was on the Australian team in 2004 uh, at the, at the Olympics where, where he swam. We, we never swam against each other, but I do know Cleet. Uh, but, but I'm the same way, you know, just seeing the impact that this story has made has everybody seems to have some type of opinion on it. It's affected people in different various ways, but you decided to actually write a letter and, and title it an opportunity to grow for a fallen Olympic champ. What inspired you to even write the letter in the first place? Um, so I guess I have this feeling in my gut, you know, I, I didn't swim at the Olympic level. Um, some of my peers were that good. I wasn't, but um, I think there's something special about what is happening or has happened with swimmers when they're done swimming. And I feel like we have this opportunity right now to either completely write off what's going on with Cleet and put them on a shame island, or we have opportunity to look at it and say, how can we do better? How can we make sure young champions and young lifelong swimmers and young High school swimmers are developed into more um, well-rounded individuals. And I can, I, you know, I don't really want to speak um, with any specifics about any of my peers, but I can say for myself, like, I feel like I've tripped over myself in ways that weren't necessary. I feel like I've had to learn lessons in hard ways that didn't have to be learned in such hard ways. And um, when I saw Cleet's situation, I just thought like, man, like there's all these people with this vitriol and spitting fire at him and, you know, say all oh, these guys should get shot and they should have been killed. And, you know, like there's a human being there. And I feel like, um, you know, I'm not judge and jury and he's going to have to face what he's going to have to face for his actions. But um, this is an opportunity. This is, this is, uh, you know, someone, a lot of people in the world look up to as a, a incredible sportsman. And I think, I'm hoping that a message can reach him where he really does have an opportunity right now to look at his own path and, and help other people coming up. Um, you know, these are really divisive times. And I feel like politically, a lot of people just sort of like, you're on my side, you're on the other side. And, um, and I feel like that was happening on this issue rather than saying, why are we seeing uh, maybe it's because people aren't speaking about it, but I know that a lot of ex-swimmers have had a really hard time when they're done. Yeah. There seem to be a lot of people with very strong opinions on this particular story. Uh, you know, obviously for those that may not know 
the, the total background cleat ended up being part of the uh the, the group that stormed the Capitol or, or at least was, was in the Capitol. And, and there was some video of him um, in his Olympic team uniform inside the Capitol while, while all this um, chaos is going on. And, and obviously that, that made the rounds and um, I ended up seeing it on all the, the swimming websites, but then it wasn't, you know, until recently uh, the past couple of days where I saw your letter appear on um, swimming world and that's where i read it for the first time and i and usually i kind of skim past those things but i thought to myself well it's interesting that someone would just randomly write a letter so i'm like well let me let me dig into this a little bit let me read it so i spent the time reading your letter and i was like wow that was um, really impactful i mean it, ma it made me start to think about my own life and the the um the choices i'd made in my life and then also the way that i was impacting other people and and it just brought up a lot of you know thoughts and feelings and i thought that was really powerful of you to do that uh when you first penned the letter what did you do with it uh so i wrote it here in my living room and uh kind of read it to my girlfriend and then kind of sat and thought about it a little bit um to be totally honest i originally wrote it because i just felt like this sounds a little woo woo probably for some people but i felt like it needed to be in the world like like that I wanted that message to come out of me and be in the world that like, let's not throw this guy away. Let's learn some lessons. And, you know, it's kind of scary to put it out there, to be honest, you know, particularly in reading some of the comments on online, um, you know, to say I have personally had a very hard time and I believe others have had a hard time before there's really concurrence from others. Um, the, you know, was a little bit frightening. So I was a little tenuous at first and I was just really trying to get it to cleat in some way, shape or form. Um, and then, uh, you know, it kind of grew from there. My brother actually was the one who encouraged me to, um, post it on an outlet, um, to, you know, just, if I can't get to him directly, maybe somebody else will forward the thing to him and, you know, maybe it will, or maybe it won't mean anything to him, but like, you know, he, he, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to repeat myself, but you know, I don't want to be part of judging someone. I want to be part of helping to see if it's possible to build them up to contribute. Do you know in any way if, if Cleet has actually read the letter? I don't know. Um, I was able to call him and, and I missed his call back, unfortunately. Um, and I know that he's probably received a lot of thousands of messages. So I think that it might be challenging to, to filter through all that at this point. Yeah. Look, I've, uh, I reached out to him too and didn't get an answer back myself, but um, I obviously know people that know him very well. And, and a lot of them say, first of all, yeah, I could see Cleet doing that, you know, so it's not an excuse uh, uh, on, you know, it's, he's not being let off the hook by his friends, certainly. But at the same time, they're also saying, I could see how he wouldn't be part of the group that was being destructive or, uh, or trying to hurt anybody. He, I could just see how he would be caught up in the mentality of let's go into the capital kind of thing. So um, by no means do I agree with any of it either, you know? Uh, and, and I was really just taken aback by the fact that he had his Olympic uniform on. I think, I think there were obviously decisions that day that Cleet had made that were really dumb, you know, yeah. but, but I kind of was, was more in line with what you were thinking in terms of like, look, let's not completely destroy this man's life. Obviously he's got some sort of challenges already going on, you know? Um, and I think as a community, 
you know, we, we can find some compassion in this, but there's obviously things that he has to learn from this. And there's obviously consequences that he has to face. Um, but just in terms of uh, diving into the letter itself and, and kind of the, some of the meaning behind it, you, you had talked about compassion. Is this something that you had done any, any time since, you know, he had finished swimming in 2006. Have you done something like this before where you've reached out to other swimmers, maybe like a Michael Phelps or anybody else? Uh, no, to be honest with you, I think that my own wounds haven't been healed enough uh, until fairly recently to feel like I was willing to go out like that, go out on a limb like that. Um, I've definitely had a lot of conversations with my peers, you know, my, my brothers, you know, my people, my literal brother, and also my brothers that I swam with, who I lived with, who I've gone through things with, and they've gone through things, and we've been there for each other. Um, and I just, uh, I guess I, I, I have not been in a point personally where I felt like I could take the shot that I thought I probably would take by coming out like that. Mm, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your life then, just to, just to kind of give us some background. Um, where did you grow up and how did you end up at UC Santa Barbara? Uh, funny enough, so I was actually born in Maryland. I thought I was, I thought I was going to end up going to the University of Maryland. Um, and I went on a recruit trip there. Um, and everybody there was super nice. Um, and to be, you know, to use a silly term or whatever, I think I'm just really a Cali boy. Like um, it's a different place here than, than the East Coast. Yeah. And I was out there on my recruit trip, actually, and I reached out to uh, Greg Wilson at UC Santa Barbara, um, who, uh, who brought me out on a recruit trip, and I ended up there. But um, I grew up in San Francisco, um, had a full city kid life, you know, fights and getting jumped and getting into trouble. And um, I think swimming for me kept me with something to lose, like anything bad that happened in my life, any trouble I got into, any loss I had, like I would just put it in the pool and just go harder. Um, like I used to swim morning practices two or three days a week by myself. Um, and, uh, yeah, just growing up in the city and, and swimming. And then I ended up at, uh, at UCSB with a pretty amazing group of people. And what, what were your events? What'd you swim? Uh, so in high school, I kind of swam everything except breaststroke and then in college, uh, flying back. So did you traditionally come from a program, where you were doing a lot of work or it was just grind, like just, just pound. So funny enough, weirdly enough with so many people and even relative affluence, San Francisco has never really been, sorry, friends in San Francisco, never really been much of a swimming town. Um, but our club team was like a total of maybe 45 swimmers. Mm. Um, we'd all pretty much most like kids up to senior group would all swim at the same time in an eight lane pool um but our senior group was really good uh our senior group it was sort of like an era that ran through san francisco where we had a guy uh ben wildman who ended up being you know world champ 50 freestyler and um and myself and a guy dave slavich who was you know more talented i think naturally as a swimmer than me and he ended up uh, going to cal um and a handful of other guys who were good swimmers and you know d2 swimmers um out of a senior group of like 10, almost everybody was pretty decent. Now, once you get to, you know, UC Santa Barbara, what was your experience like during those four years? Oh man, Santa Barbara was a beautiful place. I actually listened to the interview with my old coach, Jeremy Kipp, and I could hear him kind of be a little sweet on how nice that town is. <laughs> um, it's really nice. Like, um, 
I think that you get this special group of people who end up in a place that has nice weather. It's got a good education. It's got, you know, for us, a good swimming program. Um, so generally like pretty cool guys, uh, and gals, although, you know, honestly, most of us guys were kind of jerks. So, uh, some of the women's swim team probably didn't see the best side of me of that era in my life, but a lot of really good people. I almost flunked out. My dad was convinced because I went to Santa Barbara that I was partying hard. And I was like, no, you know what the problem is? I read every book. I read every single book front to back. And you don't do that if you're trying to pass the class. <laughs> um, Too much information. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It was a really good group of people. And it was an interesting time. You know, I never really swam with a group of people who were, I was kind of middle of the pack. And so there was a bunch of people much better than me. Um, and some people, you know, maybe marginally slower than me, but um, having a group like that where I could go as hard as I could and somebody else could go as hard as they could and we could totally wear ourselves out in whatever the event was, was pretty cool. And, and in the um, letter itself, you, you talk about um, with swimmers, this kind of lack of emotional resilience. What, what did you mean specifically when you, when you wrote that? Yeah. So like, um, if we as humans are mind, body, and soul, I think that, um, gosh, I heard a podcast with Phelps the other day. I think it was, the interviewer said something like, uh, all superpowers come with a cost. Uh -huh. Um, and I think when you're overdeveloped in one way, the other things don't get as developed. And so as mind, body, and spirit, like I didn't have to develop mind or spirit because my body just felt amazing at all times. Like I remember going home from swimming practice when you really hit it pretty hard and just sitting on the couch, staring at the wall and you just, it's not that you couldn't move your body. Like I could look at my arm and know that I could move it, but I didn't want to, you know, you just sat there and the world was great and nothing mattered. Um, and I got to feel that way every day. Well, why do you think that that doesn't apply well to everyday life? Then once you get out of swimming, how is that, how does that affect us as swimmers? I think it's really difficult to keep up with that. Like, I think that, um, I think, you know, you probably could still swim super hard like that. I think it'd be very hard for me to be a productive worker at work if I felt that good in my body. Yeah. Um, and so I think that then you get into a situation where it's like, if the only tool that I've built throughout my life, like I remember specifically when my grandpa died, I just swam as hard as I could just, just let every piece of energy I had out into that pool and um, I can't, I couldn't do that anymore. So it's like when somebody else passes or some other serious event happens in my life now, it's like, well, what is a normal life skill for that? You know, I haven't necessarily built the communication skills for that. I've, I've compartmentalized every thing that I've ever had just in the pool. And now there's enough of that stuff building up to where I actually have to have conversations with people and be vulnerable and not have anger be the only emotion I have. Cause you can throw a lot of anger into a pool. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there in terms of what you talked about. And so how, I mean, you had also talked about the fact that you'd struggled up until very recently in your life, trying to deal with, with that. Um, so how is that affecting your life after college? I mean, what did you graduate in? Where did you go after college? So I graduated with a degree in psychology, which was amazing. My dad always told me university was a place to learn what you want to learn. And I felt like I really got to do that at Santa Barbara, which was great. Um, it's not a degree that applies super well to, um, you know, employment afterwards. But um, 
from there, I was a waiter for a bit. And then uh, <laughs> actually, uh, my girlfriend and I started dating and the um, I was working six days a week for like six months. And then the guy put me on Sundays, which is I'm not religious, but it was a one day that she and I could hang out. And I was like, so we agreed I don't work Sundays. Right. And he goes, no, you haven't been here long enough to tell me that. And uh, so long story short, that was my last day I worked there. But from there, basically, I spent a decade in aerospace um, in program management, process improvement, things like that. I had a really great boss and mentor. Um, and then about five years into that, I lost my mom to uh, pancreatic cancer. And I was, I was there with her her last week until the, the last minute and um, or the, till the end. And um, that really impacted me. Like, I really feel like my heart stretched in a way that I didn't understand at that point. And so I had a lot bottled up inside of me and all I knew how to do was go harder. And so I did, I just went harder. I went harder at work. I went harder at everything that I did um, until about six months of that. I kind of had a moment of crisis um, where I just sort of, I don't know, blew up a bit. And um, for the next five years kind of struggled through every single day, like, like in a very visceral, serious way, in a way that I think maybe if you weren't trained as a swimmer, it might be hard to do. Like, you know, um, having to give myself a pep talk to step foot in the building, having to give myself a pep talk to come back from lunch, um, you know, really a lot going on for me just to get through every single work day for the course of five years. And eventually I hit a point where I sat in a desk and uh, my hands would tingle and I just was getting fight or flight from forcing myself to sit in that desk. And I did that feeling in my body for a year. Um, and it would take a long time after work getting home to like calm myself down enough. Uh, and then finally realize, you know what, it's not a flaw that a certain type of work doesn't work for me. I'm not willing to give up that part of my soul to do that type of work. Um, and so I've spent the last few years um, doing work outside, working on trees and just trying to be a little bit more um, honor more who I truly am and, and be more fully me. It's really interesting, man. It's cool. I could, I could relate to a lot of what you were saying there, you know, as, as the head coach at Auburn for 10 years, there were, there were days where I'd have to give myself a pep talk to, to walk in as well, you know, and, and uh, I think life can really take everything from you, uh, especially your work life uh, in particular. And, um, you know, it's hard to uh, find that emotional release that you talk about as well. But um, in, in terms of swimmers in general, what is it about swimming that you think we're, we're now hearing from the Phelpses and, and some of the top level athletes where they're struggling in life to adapt to um, the outside world? in terms of what you're talking about now and in terms of what some of the things you're hearing about from, from those top level athletes as well, what is it about swimming specifically? Man, I think it's the water. I, I, I can say that I've gone, I don't know, not like uh, David Goggins hard, but like I've gone pretty hard in a variety of ways of exerting myself. And um, I've never felt the way I do out of the water. Uh, sorry, when I go, when I exercise in the water, meaning surfing or swimming. Mm. Um, so I think it's, I think it's a water thing. I think there's something very unique about, you know, as creatures that came out of the water, being able to exert ourselves there. And 
Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm, I've been, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this myself because that feeling that I would get from pushing myself in the water, I haven't been able to replicate that in any other aspect of life. And it's almost like there's a longing and a need and, and a void that is there now. And, and I'm feeling like as swimmers, in a way, we're all feeling this, right? Absolutely. Uh, a friend of mine um, introduced the woman in his life to me, and she was also a collegiate swimmer. And she and I realized we were having very similar dreams. You know, it was like a period of time would go by where we didn't get in the water at all. And then we'd have like dreams of being in the street, but you're flying, but you're really swimming, you know, and it's like, mm. there's definitely a void. There's definitely like, and I don't know how to, I don't know if it's like an evolutionary, like something inside of us is activated and it's, and, and we can't deactivate it um, from being in the water in that way. But it, but I could go run as I could go run till my body is hurting a lot and I would feel very good afterwards, but I wouldn't feel the same way as when I swam. What did you mean in the letter when you, when you wrote face their shadow, you were talking about cleat possibly having to face his shadow and then, you know, in your own life. And, but, but as swimmers, you know, facing our shadow, what did that mean specifically? I think that, um, you know, when I swam, I had this, I had, I can't remember what my phrasing was cause I'm no longer like a 17 year old little jerk, but like I had a really good phrasing that was something like, you can't ask yourself why you're swimming. Like, you can't be like, why am I doing this? That, that question, I feel like, um, unless you're like a top, top tier guy, is a very hard question to answer. I mean, the question obviously is like, I want to swim faster. I want to beat the guy next to me. I want to keep improving. Um, but I think there's like a certain part for most of us that you have to just turn off um, in the pool. And in terms of like facing the shadow, I think that a lot of healing comes from just being right here, right now. Um, and that's really hard to do. And I think that um, for somebody like, you know, I don't know Cleet. So speaking of myself, like the anxieties that I feel make it really difficult to just sit here and uh, do whatever I'm doing for the entirety of the day and not have a moment where I kind of feel like I've got to put my guard up. Um, and it takes a lot of courage to take your guard down and just be willing to be in the world. Like I, I existed as a young kid in the city with a lot of violence around me and had to, I mean, not a lot of violence, but like, mm -hmm. you know, I got jumped and stuff. And, and so those things, like when I walk around, part of me healing is taking those shields down. And I think when you swim, I just remember having those thoughts come into my head and going, that doesn't matter. That's not a big deal. You, know, you could be like in meditation, they talk about being the observer and getting away from something and being able to look at it a little bit objectively and I feel like there's something that when you're in the pool, that's really easy to do. You don't need another tool to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's true. You're right. And the more I hear you talk about it and, and, and read what you wrote, you know, that stuff's hitting home to me too. And I, I don't know how to, um, you know, compute all that in terms of what do I do with it? You know, like, because I love the sport of swimming, you know, like I think it's, magical i mean i love every aspect about swimming but i also see where um a lot of us are dealing with similar problems from swimming you know and yeah. and this is a real issue like i look at i look at the cleat situation and then i hear about his life from people that know him and just see his struggles and think to myself you know you think to yourself as an outsider like how could an olympic champion then 
you know, face the challenges that he's faced in his life. Um, are we, are we missing something where we, um, push our athletes to a certain point where you were pushed at a certain point and then it's just um like as coaches could we pre prepare our athletes better for life is there something that coaches aren't doing that could prepare them better for life i think it's like um probably not not a resolved issue because it's super complicated and and maybe like you know you could say oh well you know like i, I noticed in some of the stuff that michael phelps is putting out now that he's very focused on you know the ioc and and things like that and because that's the level that he was at right but mm -hmm. that that is clearly people are suffering after the olympic games that is definitely a thing um, yep. based on what i've seen um not in my own experience but uh that is a place where people are suffering but it isn't necessarily a starting point like i see that they do mm -hmm. the day and a half sort of you guys, we're going to take you for a day and a half. We're going to get you ready for the real world. We're like getting ready for the real world. It's like kind of maybe starts when the kid, they're little kids, you know, it starts in age group. It starts with, it's not just the college because I don't know what it is now, but there was something like 19 hours of, of maximum requirement that my coaches were allowed to give me in college. Mm -hmm. And they would say, Hey, you got to go home. You got to stretch. I mean, as this kind of bro young guy, they couldn't even get me to stretch. How are they going to get me to meditate and do other yeah. things that are, are important like that? And I think building some of those skills into kids early on, um, it might mean that in age group, they've got to sacrifice a little bit of short-term in-pool performance for some time of building some life skills. Maybe the kids need to journal sometimes. Maybe the kids need to meditate. Um, maybe they do some yoga. I know Kip for sure definitely told me we did not do yoga, but he definitely did yoga with us when we were in college, just for the record. <laughs> um, but um but some of that stuff, like walking barefoot, just like, I, you know, I kind of like made a list of, of my own stuff. Um, focusing on some stillness outside of the pool. You know, these are pretty high energy kids. If you're surviving and swimming, you've got like a, a serious motor inside of you. Um, and I think like just from early on all the way through, there could be some more priority of those, those things. My, a buddy of mine is still a coach and he was telling me about kids that take a stopwatch and imagine the whole race with a stopwatch in their hand and they can do their exact splits for a 200. That's mind blowing. I didn't even try to do my splits for a 200 in the pool, let alone out of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. Um, why has, when did meditation and just stillness and taking time, when did that become a factor for you in your life? When did you feel like that was important for you? I think with a lot of these things, it, it's a uh, necessity is the mother of all ingenuity or something. Um, you talked about like a moment of crisis in the, in the letter yeah. in terms of like, yeah. you know, where, where cleat was at, you know, like the moment of crisis is that, that's certainly something that happened to you, right? Yeah. Like I didn't think I could survive after my mom died. Like I didn't get a sense that I wanted to kill myself. For me, it was more of an anxious thing than it was a depressive thing, but yeah, I didn't know how I was going to live the life I was trying to live with the way that I was feeling and with the world that I thought was normal, sitting at a desk all day at a computer in Microsoft Excel. Like, um, and in trying to figure out how to do that, I looked at every tool that anyone I knew was doing, and I just kept trying everything. Um, my girlfriend jokes, she's like, I've never met anybody like you. Like, I'll take a nap and it'll get a little late and we'll be like maybe supposed to prepare for dinner. I'm like, Oh, I got to ice my arms. Cause I, I work with my hands a lot and I'll just go get a bucket of ice and stick my arms in the ice. It's like, I can't believe you just woke up and stuck your hands in a bucket of ice. <laughs> and I think there's like, you have to have a willingness to try everything all the time. Like 
uh, the same thing that worked for me yesterday isn't going to work for me today. And I don't know what works for anybody else, but like I do time in nature, I do quiet time, certain types of music, certain types of, you know, chanting or different breathing techniques. Um, honestly, time in water, nothing can substitute for walking barefoot, time with loved ones, you know, feeling love, giving love, journaling, um, just all those things um, as much as possible. And also for me personally, not being jumpy about how I feel. You know, I, Phelps said something in that interview I was listening to that was a, to the effect of like, it's okay to not be okay. Like, it's mm -hmm. okay that, that I'm going to feel however it is I feel right now. And I'm going to move through that just like I did yesterday. Yeah. That, po that podcast was with uh, Tim Ferriss, actually. I, I listened to it as well. And it's with Grant Hackett and Michael Phelps. It's came out last week, uh, an excellent podcast. Uh, highly recommend listening to that and, and some of the things, some of the challenges that Phelps is still dealing with, but just some, some things as I was listening there to you read your list, I was like, there are things that Phelps could use that that would certainly be helpful to him. Um, and, and we're, we're generally talking about cleat here as well. And I'm, I'm sure there, there are things that he could be using in his own life. Um, where, where do you think cleat has gone wrong? Just not knowing him, but just maybe looking from the, the story that you know about him in terms of, um, you know, being an Olympic champion to where he is ending up in the, in the Capitol building, like where has he gone wrong in his life? You think? Yeah. So, um, not really being able to put myself in issue specifically, I can talk definitely um, generally that I think for a lot of us, man, like guys or gals, I'm sure as well, I can only speak to my experience, but like, you just taught to be tough to tough it up, man. Mm. I remember getting cramps in swimming practice and the guy would tell me not, this is not in college, but the guy would, he'd be like, it's going to put hair on your chest. Just keep going. You know, it's like, no, I can stop for a second and stretch like, right. Mm. Isn't that, Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of that. And I think that you have to start by acknowledging there's a problem and being vulnerable. And that's really hard. Um, and I don't know if he was able to do that. And I don't know if he was able to do that with the right people. And I don't know if he was able to get the right help that he needed and the support that he needed in his life. Like, you know, I've talked with friends, like for me, it starts with what does it take for you to feel safe? Like, can, can this person feel safe enough to be vulnerable and to heal? And, and I don't know exactly what, what all, you know, his struggles are, but, um, you know, I would imagine that someone doesn't feel super safe if they end up storming the U.S. Capitol. Like, that doesn't seem like an action you do if you feel secure with what's happening around you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. If Cleet was to pop up on your phone in the next couple of hours and, and you were just sitting there looking at, should I take this call? Like, what, what do you think you would say to him if that was the case? I'm taking that call every time. And I think all I could say is you're not alone. That is like, that is the number one message. Like if Cleet, you listen to this, you're not alone. You're not the only one suffering. You're not the only one having these challenges. And I don't know your struggle, but um, I know my own and I've had a lot of dark, hard days and I presume you have as well. And I hope that you can see some light in terms of what you're going to be able to contribute. Um, once you've gone through whatever this process is going to be. That's a beautiful message, man. And it takes, uh, you know, it takes a big person to be able to do that because, you know, we, we had talked offline in terms of, you know, putting the, putting the letter out and it being public and being open to scrutiny and, and people are just, uh, 
people are just mean, man. People are just cruel. There's a lot of cruelty and meanness. And I think those people are hurting themselves. You know, it's like, there's obviously something lacking in their own lives where they feel like they need to get online and absolutely destroy somebody who's (laughs) trying to make a positive impact, you know? Yeah. Some of the comments were just very confusing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, But a friend of mine likes to say hurt people, hurt people. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I think you're not going online and, some of the things about how people should be killed and the rest of that, like that, that's not coming from somebody who's super happy at home. Like that person who's super happy at home, family or not family, they're busy on their Sunday, like doing that thing that's bringing them joy. Mm-hmm. I agree hundred percent. Yeah. So I'm glad you're not getting caught up in that too much. Um, but yeah, it's it certainly, it's, it's, it's certainly, you know, keeps you hesitant to want to do anything like that in the future. It's like, Oh, why would I even bother doing that in the future? But I would say, I would encourage you and other people like you to continue to do that because there's always that one person like me, who's going to reach out to you and say, Hey, you made an impact. And that that's what I always do as a coach. Like there's always a lot of people who are going to criticize me as a coach, but I'm going to say, well, there's that one person that has connected with the message and if I can help that one person, then it was, it was worth it. You know, you hear that kind of cliche all the time, but in terms of what you did, if, even if this doesn't get to cleat, I was at least one person that you made an impact on, you know, and that's why Thank we're you. talking today. So um, you, did, you did a great job with it for sure, Ben. And um, I'm glad you did it and continue. Uh, I'd encourage you to continue to do things like that because uh, you're obviously somebody that can make an impact in the world in a positive way. So I appreciate you being on the podcast today, man. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.